Welcome to the Ferris Love Shrine podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. In this episode, we're talking with Noelle Maring, author of Awake Not Woke and co-author of Theology of Home. Welcome, Noelle. Thanks for having me. Hi, Katie. Yeah, we're excited to have a discussion and talk a little bit more about your book, your most recent book, Awake Not Woke. Um, So why don't we just jump in and why don't you tell us just a little bit about the book itself and kind of what inspired you to write it? Sure. So the book I uh, is published with Tan Books. It came out in 2021. I actually signed contracts for it in early 2020, prior to COVID and all of the craziness of that year. So it's kind of funny to be writing it while all that was going on, or mm-hmm. I guess lent a certain urgency to the project. Uh, the book is uh, meant to be accessible to anyone. I did not write it at a extremely high academic level, and I am not an extremely high academic, so that made sense. I wanted to write it to people like myself who was mm-hmm. just wrestling with this movement and trying to understand uh, what ex- exactly animated it uh, and ha- what the Christian response was, should be to it. I'd been writing about the woke movement since about 2018, just articles mostly starting then from taking at it, looking at it from different angles. And it's just been an interesting phenomenon to me on multiple mm-hmm. levels. And I think I really just wanted to kind of get some clarity because it seemed that it was, there was a lot of confusion surrounding it. And I wanted to understand what was, you know, the philosophy behind it, because it seemed to me like they were not, this movement, it was not exactly limiting itself to politics. It was speaking to things that touch on the nature of the human person, uh, the, what, what our fulfillment, where our fulfillment lies, what the definition of a human person is both to male and female, but also just more generally the importance of family or the, uh, you know, not importance, lack of importance of family. Uh, and these all seemed like things that were deeply, um, they're, they're questions that every human being has. And I thought if we're not addressing these adequately, then they're going to be defaulting to a political ideology that I don't think is answering them in a way that is consistent with the faith. And so that was interesting to me. And I, and I really wrote the book with that in mind. Mm-hmm. I love that. So for those who are kind of new to the idea of the woke movement, or perhaps have heard of it, but just are like, uh, I can't really define that or describe that. Like, how do you kind of talk about it? And how would you define it? Yeah, no, I think the woke movement is maybe the most neutral way to define it is that it's a movement that is trying to uh, bring help us become alert and attuned to the various layers of oppression in society, generally surrounding the sort of the hot button issues, the gender, sexuality, um, you know, transgenderism, race. And, and I think it's ostensibly a movement oriented around justice. But when you understand what the principles are behind it, it really is far a, a pretty unjust movement. Um, I think it's a true to type ideology in the sense that it takes things that are partially true and then totalizes them. Um, and in that totalization, it turns itself into a lie. Um, but, but it's manipulative in a certain way in that it positions itself as the only right application of justice in, you know, in the world. So that if we want to be on the right side of uh, fighting racism or fighting, you know, oppression or walking with the marginalized or all of the things that I think as Christians, we want to be on the right side of, then it Mm -hmm. says, you know, this is the only way that you can do it. Um, Mm. And and I think it's, it becomes rather totalitarian in that way and, and, and kind of militant. And I think a lot of people sort of sense that it's, it's going beyond its reach in that way. And, and, but are not exactly sure how to, how to understand that, how to analyze it and how to respond to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I'm sure a lot of people kind of feel like, "Mm, this doesn't feel exactly right, but exactly how to address that is, is tricky for them. 
For sure. So what kind of tips would you have when it comes to kind of navigating this woke movement for parents today? Like what, what should they do? How do they even begin to kind of look at this and address it? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, I think that there's two, um, two kind of impulses that people can have that one to sort of just ignore it, just to say, you know, I'm, this is too controversial and it's going to cause division. I don't want to get into the weeds in this movement because people believe so strongly in it. And so, you know, I don't want to put myself on the, out on the limb and perhaps that will be compromising, you know, my Christian witness too, if, if I go do enter into something controversial. Uh, and I think that not everyone is meant to engage in the discussion to the same level, you know, the same way, you know, we have to be prudential about how we talk about these things and whether or not it, we need to it, you know, we, they certainly are, it should not be brought into every dinner discussion, but I think it's important to understand them. Um, so, so the two errors I think are one on one side, I think we can kind of ignore it and try to sweep it under the rug too much. And on the other side, I think we can sort of become a mirror image of, you know, exactly the type of thing we're trying to defeat, where we see this becoming too political, things becoming too political and too militant. You know, we can do that on the flip side, where we're just kind of, we're becoming absorbed in ideology or we're becoming um, overly political um, and not seeing the fullness of reality. And I think as Christians, we're really supposed to think, you know, with the fullness of truth, you know, philosophical truths, supernatural truth, um, the truth about the human person, and also understanding the political realities at hand. So, uh, and that kind of desire to understand things that are, you know, from that full awareness of truth, with that full freedom that truth brings, also gives us, you know, eyes of mercy, I think, you know, and tells us, you know, that the person is not our, another the person across the table who might be, you know, uh, on the other side politically is not really my enemy, there's are a brother or sister in Christ, and that, you know, my job is to treat them with dignity and respecting, you know, their, their soul and their dignity and their ability to kind of wrestle and think and, excuse me, um, come to their own conclusions. Um, so those are, I think, two are two extremes. And what I would advise, I think, in, is the, maybe the healthiest way is just to first try to understand it. I think this is something that is affecting people deeply and our society in our society deeply. And so there's, I think, somewhat of a duty, therefore, to kind of really try to understand it, try to understand this thing that is kind of taking over so many people's minds and imaginations and, and our institutions. Uh, and that's really what, I, what I, I'm hopeful that the book can do is to try to lend some clarity to this movement. And once we can kind of gain clarity, I think we have, we'll, we'll have more confidence to engage when we should engage and not feel that we're ill-equipped to have a discussion that feels complicated and fraught and, um, you know, laden with emotional and uh, kind of pitfalls that we don't want to walk into, um, you know, because there ultimately I find it to be an ideology that is easier to defeat than I think it seems like. Um, and, and so because of that, because I don't think that there's a whole rich depth of, you know, philosophical heft behind it, um, I, I think that we, you know, we can feel that can give us confidence too, that this is something that we can, when called on, called upon, really combat and take on, mm -hmm. um, you know, sure. be out of justice for our, our, uh, for society, I think. Sure. That makes sense. Um, I'm curious why you say, or you feel that it's kind of easier to defeat this than someone might think. Cause I, I could imagine someone listening to this or even myself, like listening to me, like, I don't know, like it's everywhere. It seems like it's, it's a huge monster to be able to defeat. So why do you say that? Yeah, no, I mean, there's two different ways I can answer that. You know, one way I think it is hard to defeat because of the way that it really takes hold of someone. Um, you know, it, it almost, uh, 
I, I think it almost becomes like it, 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 its own type of religion where people cling mm-hmm. to it with sort of a zealotry that I think is sort yeah. of characteristic of a religion that's not really based on, you know, pure, on, on real rational principles, you know, sort of like a, an irrational kind of fundamentalist type of religion. Um, but I, so, so in that way, I think it can be very difficult. Um, but in the other way, I, in another way, I think it's, I say that because it's not really coherent it kind of, um, you know, it kind of eats itself. And we see this happening, for example, in the way that the transgender movement is now battling the feminists. Um, you know, there's an absurdity, you know, that's that it's putting forward, uh, you know, with re- with regard to what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a man, where, you know, we really are erasing the idea of what women women are. Um, and, and, you know, th- there are other similar claims that I think are similarly absurd. For example, they'll say things like um, two plus two could equal five, you know, that, that there's that if someone if in someone's lived experience, it might equal five. Um, and so those things, I think, point to a real kind of um, Achilles heel of the movement that is really not a movement based on truth. It's based on power, oriented towards power and defeating, you know, injustice and um, or re- in reversing power structures. Um, and, and I think the hum, most the human person longs for things that are true. We long our minds are oriented towards things that are true. We we're naturally seeking that. And so when it, you know the, when this movement comes with such obvious kind of absurdities, I think that there's a way in which that's naturally kind of repulsive to people in their you know intellectually a bit repulsive. Um, and I think the more that this is sort of accelerating, where we're seeing those sort of claims made, you know, more brazenly, um, the more I think it's really kind of turning more people away than it is uh, galvanizing supporters. Wow, oh, sure. That makes sense. That makes total sense. So, uh, you know, for all your research, what are some of these tactics that you see the woke movement kind of using to get their message out and to kind of convince you that, you know, two plus two could equal five or whatever it happens to be? Yeah. Well, um, there's been, so there's a couple of different ways that we can look at it. For mm-hmm. one thing, there's been, as the saying goes, a long march through the institutions. So they're truly, had, they've been playing a long game for far longer than we've realized. It's now coming to the surface, but um, there really has been an effort to take hold of the academy from uh, not just mm-hmm. the university, but also K through 12. Um, there's mm-hmm. been a long push to get art and media to all be, uh, mm-hmm. or primarily be surrounding narratives of oppression to the right. point where, you know, we almost see oppression everywhere because it's, it's in mm-hmm. so deeply in our, in our narratives that we're presented with in television, movies, stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's been really effective in getting hold of institutions, also media, politics, uh, journalism, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's been one tactic just to gain power. Uh, but sure. but uh, there are a couple other tactics. One that I think is really effective, particularly with uh, Catholics or Christians is or just really anyone of goodwill is that that appeal to your compassion that if mm-hmm. you are, you know, that, that they'll present a story of someone suffering. And that story of suffering is going to, you know, be compelling to anyone who has um, empathy. Um mm-hmm. So they use narratives of suffering a lot in order to kind of absorb you into an ideology. And I think that that's, uh, it's manipulative in a particular way, obviously, but it's, um, but it's also effective. You know, it really is effective. Um, And at the same time, there's a manipulation of language that happens. So Mm -hmm. for example, so for example, uh, Ibram X. Kendi wrote a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and on the face of it, being anti-racist is a true and good statement. Who doesn't want to be an anti-racist? Sure. Or, you know, when this, the statement Black Lives Matter, that is a true and good statement. Black lives do matter, <laughs> obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the problem is that they're, that's, they're saying far more than just what the statement sounds like on the surface. But I think most normal people will translate into something that is, you know, just and something that is sensible and don't, without reading the literature, don't have any sense that there's actually a whole host of really deeply unjust principles that are embedded in those phrases. Um, and mm-hmm. you have to do your anti-racism just in a very particular way. It's not just to oppose racism. It's far more than that. It's to actually become an mm-hmm. ideologue in a very particular way. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the, the injustice, I think, goes far beyond, you know, even just sort of a reverse racism. It actually, I think, is blatantly racist. You know, the, those other claims sure. such as politeness is a white virtue or being on time mm-hmm. is a white virtue. Um, you know, this is, Reddit really is doing is stealing the possibility of virtue from everyone because it's saying, mm-hmm. you know, that these things are not actually available to human persons, that we they're not good things to strive for, to be hard worker, to be, you know, on time, to be punctual, to be kind, to be polite. These are actually just functions of a cultural, you know, milieu that is pre- uh, predicated on your skin color. You know, so that mm-hmm. what it, what that really does is it robs the human person of that sort of moral agency that virtue really commit, demands that we acknowledge and exercise. That makes sense. Wow, it's crazy. Um, what you know, you mentioned earlier education and how that's one of the like major tactics. And I can imagine, right? There are parents who you know have college children or recent graduates who kind of have fallen into this ideology or, you know, family dinner tables, a a debate now with them. So what advice would you have for, you know, these families or these parents as they dialogue about some of these things that are more, they become much more heated now? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so hard. And that's been one of the hardest things after the the writing the book is that I hear from parents so often that their kids went to college and came back and now kind of disdain everything that they raised them to believe and sort of disdain them too. just think that they are kind of dinosaurs or not with it. Um, And, and, you know, and feel that they are kind of there to now now teach them the right way to think, you know, Um, you know, the first thing obviously is always going to be to pray. Um, You know, I think that 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 is where our greatest power lies and our greatest ability to affect, especially adult children, because it's the relationship certainly shifts when your kids are adults. It's you're no longer able to control what their the way they're their morning is or their afternoon is or what time they come home or obviously there's all these mm-hmm. obvious ways that we lose control but also the relationship really does is rightfully supposed to shift where we know our opinion is not when uninvited is not necessarily always to be given you know that we're supposed to respect their freedom and their uh, ability to um to you know be navigating their own way through the world and in that respect we est- kind of position ourselves to become the type of people that they will actually choose to come back to and seek mm. advice from and input from. Um, so I think that there's a really delicate way in which we have to be navigating that relationship and uh, particularly when um, there's such deep disagreement. So I, I, I think that it obviously takes a whole host of pr- prayer, but then also prudence, right? Like we have to know when to speak, when not to speak. And also to know that there is, you know, that this is normal, that they might have gotten absorbed in it. I mean, and uh, not normal in the sense of, you know, nothing to worry about, but normal in the sense that it's very easy to when you go off to mm-hmm, a college to sure. hold into all of this stuff. Um, so, you know, I would ask questions. I think questions are always a good way. You know, how does that work with, you know, how does what you're saying here fit with what 
we, you know, you believe here? And are these things consistent? And how does that, you know, how, how does that play out in your mind? Try to get them to think more deeply about it. And in asking them and inviting them to think more deeply, you know, there's a real opportunity there that they can start to poke holes in it themselves. And it, it might not happen, you know, in one conversation, it probably won't. But um, the hope is that it'll plant a seed, um, you know, and, 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 and then I always think that, the, you know, a happy, you know, well-formed family life from, from their, you know, their history, their childhood, it has such a pull on an adult child, even, you know, when they've gone far away, moved, or maybe even seemingly gone off the reservation, they still know where the reservation is, <laughs> they, know, they know, and they, and they remember it fondly. Um, and so I would trust in that too, trust in that, that formation and that, you know, affection that was established in their youth. Sure. That makes perfect sense. Um, you talk in your book a little bit, uh, um, but I'd love for you to explain a little bit more, tell our listeners kind of why the corruption of our children is kind of a logical outgrowth of these woke principles. Can you just, you know, give us a nutshell, um, explanation of that from the book? Sure. Yeah. No, it's more, one of the more disturbing um, but fascinating uh, things to, that I researched is so the the idea is that the rogue movement is surround it finds our liberation by fighting oppression in two ways: the oppressed oppression that comes from us from groups outside of ourselves, um, power structures in society, uh, but also a liberation from our own internalized kind of taught desire to repress ourselves and. Um, you know, by conforming ourselves to kind of traditional norms of sexuality and chastity and all these things, that those things are actually oppressing us as well. And so part of our liberation is by, is we find our freedom in transgressing the moral law. Um, And in that transgression, we are liberated from it. Um, So, so that second sort of liberation really starts to imply um, that there is a innocence that innocence in this world is actually a perpetuation is a type of dominance. It perpetuates a norm. So for example, you know, a lot of people have been wondering why, why, what is this phenomenon with transgender story hours or um, uh, drag queen story hour? And I think it really makes perfect sense. According to the ideology, you know, it's, ostensibly it's to, you know, to keep kids from becoming bullies. Like that's what one of the reasons we'll give, you know, there, we, we want kids to be exposed to alternative lifestyles so that they won't make fun of them. Um, the second reason they'll say is, you know, that, that, uh, there might be a child who's, who has actually, you know, pulled in this direction. And by giving them, presenting them this alternative lifestyle, they can, you know, see a door the way they can walk through and that can help them free themselves. But the third reason, the more sinister reason, is I think that the child's innocence of those alternative lifestyles is allows them to grow up and walk through the world thinking that there is a default way of being, that men are men and that women are women and that traditional marriage is a norm and that, you know, then, then those two people have babies and then those babies grow up and, you know, repeat that. And insofar as they are, they think that that's the default way of being, it's giving power to that, to that kind of traditional family life. And that is really has to be, um, they have to be disabused of their innocence um, of alternative lifestyles in order to disrupt and um, disturb kind of the power structure of the family. That even the family life is a type of privilege. And by privilege, I mean that in the Marxist way, kind of like white privilege or male privilege, that privilege, according to the ideology, actually means that you have to, you've got power and illicit power. Mm -hmm. That even the family is considered to be an illicit power structure that is oppressing alternative forms of being. Mm -hmm. 
It's crazy. Um, how do you like suggest parents kind of protect their children from these kinds of things? Exactly. Like you might not even know, you might go to your local library and there's the drag book reading of whatever. And so like how, suggestions or tips for parents kind of protecting, especially their young children from kind of falling into this. Yeah, no, it's such a hard and big topic because, you know, obviously, you know, we're not called to be in a defensive crouch from the world, you know, terrified of walking out the door. And, um, and I always say, you know, one of the things about safety in the home is that it's far more about what we're building up in the home than it is about what we're keeping out. So, you know, I think first and foremost, we have to be forming our homes to being, you know, those bright, cheerful, happy homes and full of love and full of positive things that we are showing them a vision of, you know, the good, the good of life, um, the good of the family and pointing them towards our Lord and our lady. Um, but also helping them develop their own natural skills, abilities, you know, the talents, the more that kids are kind of lit from within in something that they can, you know, develop in themselves and work towards, you know, then the, the, the more that they'll be kind of led towards human virtue, you know, even in that natural way that they're pulled to kind of developing themselves and pulled to working at something for the sake of something. Um, but I also, you know, obviously we do have to keep things out as well. So I think we have to be really careful about media. Um, you know, there's just so much out there that is really, uh, really um, sinister, I think, um, on both, both online and in, and in shows. Um, so I, I don't think we can be complacent in that way. I think we also have to be really intentional about what's happening in the schools that we're sending to our kids. You know, I think for a long time, we thought that, that you know, we could just trust what, what was happening. I think that the last couple of years have shown us that that's not true anymore. Um, if it, if it, and then perhaps it hadn't been true for quite a while, but for, you know, for various reasons, we've become more aware of it. Um, I think it's super important for kids to have support that are from peer groups. So the more they can be either in a school where the families are mutually, you know, like-minded, or if they, if you don't have that, you know, to get them involved in activities, um, you know, that's why I love having the, you know, the girls go to camp in the summer and the boys go to camp or they go down to have, you know, we have girls clubs and all of these things. I think all of that really feeds kind of a need for peer support um, that can really help sustain them when they sort of realize pretty quickly that they're actually living quite a countercultural lifestyle. Um, you know, I think delaying uh, smartphones as long as humanly possible <laughs> is a, you know, in my opinion, that's super important. You know, I, I would even till eight. 17 or 18 or so. Um, I think we tend to do it way too soon. And it's, we, it's much harder to, 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 to change course once we've unleashed that phone into a kid's hands than it is to just not do it at all. So um, they get addicted very quickly. Um, and if we do, you know, if we do give it, once we do give it to them, you know, having really good positive rules that we set an example with first and foremost, that we're not on our phones all the time, that we are being with each other. We're being human with each other and entering into relationship with one another, not just staring into a device all day. Sure. Makes total sense. Um, I'm curious if you, you know, for parents who are listening to this and feeling really overwhelmed now and kind of stressed out yeah. by like the woke movement and this around their kids and all this, like, do you see hope? Do you see, like, how do you see the future kind of moving when you look at kind of this and all the research that you've done? Yeah. You know, I see two different paths. <laughs> you know, I see really, I see that there could be very hard times ahead. I, you know, there could even be persecution and all sorts of things, uh, increasing censorship, increasing um, persecutions of faith and infringements on religious liberty. 
Um, so I, I certainly see that that's very possible. I also see that we could, um, you know, the, the, there's a real awakening happening. You know, I think that we saw that with the parent school board meetings, you know, those were a lot of those parents were not even religious or, or you know, conservative. There were progressive parents who were just re- found it repugnant that their kids were being indoctrinated into like a collectivist mindset and, you know, radical gender ideology at such young ages. So uh, I think the more we could band together with, you know, like-minded people in that way and who want to resist this and want to find creative and practical ways to push back on it, that has real power. Um, I, you know, Disney, I think, you know, I think certain companies that have, have been, you know, gone too far woke, there's been a real resistance against them that's hit them in their pocketbooks and has been effective. So um, that gives, those things give me a lot of hope. And of course, you know, this is all a trust in God's providence. And if, you know, if he wants us to suffer, well, we'll suffer, but, we, but we'll do so, you know, with him by our side, knowing that, um, that, that, that is far more powerful than any human ideology, you know, or, you know, I actually think it's a, a sort of a diabolical ideology, but um, that, that you know, our Lord and our lady are not going to cast us aside, that they will be walking with us every step of the way. And, you know, we, sh- we are people of hope. So um, despair and discouragement actually are total waste of time when we think about it. And they, be- they don't belong in our, in our minds or imaginations. I love that. Um, all right, Noel, before we sign off, any last words of wisdom, any last tidbits you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think I would just say that, you know, I think that we could, we should and could have a lot of courage as we are navigating our way through this. Um, I think that there is a way in which it is an emperor's new clothes type of, mm-hmm. uh, of situation, you know, that there really is not a lot of there there and that uh you know it feels like it's so you know it feels like it's so impenetrable and also so powerful at this time mm-hmm. but I, I you know i think that we can feel like a real confidence that there is it's far more defeatable than we think and i know i, I said that earlier mm-hmm. but I, I really truly do think that um but it's going to take courage and i think that you know mm-hmm. that we can teach our kids to be people of courage and we can model it for them and know and trust that, you know, the more that we are, you know, really standing up in ways that can feel a little bit scary, um, that our Lord's by our side and that that sort of courage is exactly what he He asks us of, of, of us, that if any persecution that we experience in his name, you know, we don't go looking for it. But if it if it present if it if we're presented with it, then, you know, we can feel a real joy in that, too, you know, that 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 we're following his following his will. Um, so yeah, I just would encourage, I would really want to encourage people that they can get a hold of this, you know, wrap their minds around it, get clarity and then proceed with courage and confidence. All right. That's great. I, I, that's a perfect way to end this on courage. I think that's awesome. Um, if people want to find you, find your book, where can they kind of do that? Sure. So I, I, all of my personal publications are on my website, noelmaring.com. I also am co-editor of theologyofhome.com. And we have a free subscription there. We encourage people with a daily email uh, full of ways to organize your home or, you know, fun things like recipes, but also spiritual fruit and food um, and some a little bit of, you know, you know, news and that. Uh, and, and our books, our Theology of Home books, and also Wake Not Woke are sold on theologyofhome.com or anywhere you buy books. Great. Yep. And they have, I know Tan has the audiobook, the ebook, and the physical book. So whichever way you like listening to books or reading books, you can, you can get Awake Not Woke that way for sure. 
Um, yeah, well, Noel, thank great. you so much for this conversation. This was excellent. I hopefully people got a lot out of it as well. Thanks. Thanks it was great for to be with you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Shrine podcast. If you enjoyed it, we'd love for you to visit us at ferrislovshrine.org and share the podcast with others.